when when I wanted to launch Reform, because I am from hip hop, I wanted to launch this brand, Reform with two E's, Reefer and Reform, um, to bring this together and make it a part of the culture. It's a social justice movement that, that's a part that's a part of the culture as well. If you got one spark up, you listen to the Higher Learning Podcast with 420 NJ Events. Let's go! Happy 420, everybody, and welcome to the Higher Learning with 420 NJ Events Podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Robinson. I heard my brother, my co-host, my dog, Stan Okoro. Stan, what's up, baby? What's going on, brother? Chilling like always, bro. It's good to see you. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, we got a special guest on the show tonight. Yes, sir. Um, this is somebody that, you know, me and Stan have a lot of respect for. Absolutely. Someone who's been directly impacted by the war on drugs fight for what he believes in, really making a difference in the world. I'm talking about the founder of Mission Green, the CEO of Reform. I'm talking about our boy, Mr. Weldon Angelos. Weldon, what's up, baby? What's up, man? How y'all doing? Chilling, man. How you doing? Great. Nah, good, man. It's good to see you, man. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump right into it. I, I know you're a busy man. I'm going to jump right into it. You know, um, you know your, your story, Weldon, is filled with so much uh, perseverance. You know, but before we get into some of the things you've gone through to get to this point, just give the audience a little background on who you are and how you got started in the cannabis industry. Absolutely. So my first experience with cannabis uh, happened in, I believe, 91, 92, after Dr. Dre's The Chronic came out, um, which led me to want to, you know, experiment with cannabis. After that, it was a wrap. You know, I bought my first nickel bag and it was over with. It sort of opened up a, a you know, a creative side to me that really made me want to get into music. Um, fast forward to 95, I went out to California, to Los Angeles to, to try to, you know, make some music. And fortunately, I ended up meeting the people I was grew up listening to, including Snoop Dogg and, and Tupac's group and everyone, the folks at Death Row Records. Um, you know, they liked what I was doing, my sound. I was trying to be a beat maker, you know what I'm saying? But I just want to do everything. I just want to be in music. That was my dream. And, you know, ended up making it. Next thing you know, a few years later, I'm uh, laying on, sleeping on Snoop's couch and making music till 5.30 in the morning and, um, you know, just living the dream. Got founded my own record label, got a major record deal. Um, I think it was around uh, early 2002. Uh, I was I brought Snoop Dogg out to my city, Salt Lake City, and we had a tour out there. One of the to- uh, the locations we were touring was my hometown, and so you know I took Snoop out there. We went to the club. Uh, I was making music, did a video called "A Little More Dope to Smoke," and the authorities caught wind of it and thought something big must be going on. So they sent an informant to come check out what was going on. He bought three hundred dollars worth of cannabis on three occasions. That's it. Nothing else. And that was it. I left back to Cali, you know, got signed my record deal, released an album I did with Snoop, the entire album I did myself. And, you know, things were going great. I started working with other big legends in the industry, was about to do something with Eminem and, you know, about to do something with Jay-Z, did a song with Nas and, and Pink and others. And, you know, things were going well. And this informant, you know, uh, you know, they were trying to get him a deal federally. So they turned over, you know, the evidence to the feds and, and they turned these three cannabis sales into a 20 count federal indictment where I was facing 105 years of mandatory imprisonment. So basically prosecutors, the way they designed the indictment took these three charges and treated it as though I was a repeat offender, as though I went to prison, got out, did it again, went to prison, got out, did it again and did it again. And just they took advantage of a loophole in, in a federal law called 924C. And that statute, um, ultimately, I, I went to trial, got convicted on most, ended up with a mandatory 55-year sentence. 
uh, the sentence was so crazy that even the judge, a Republican George W. Bush appointee, um, you know, balked at the sentence he, he, that he was forced to impose. He uh, protested it by calling on the president that appointed him to pardon me as he was sentencing me. And later he quit the bench in protest of what the system forced him to do. Um, essentially, he saw murders and rapists and, 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 and airplane hijackers come to his court they all got a fraction of the sentence he was forced to impose upon me um, for $900 worth of cannabis. So he basically made the comparison. Uh, child rapist gets 10 and a half years. Uh, a kidnapper gets, you know, uh, uh, 10 years. And an airplane hijacker gets 22 years. So he said, basically, I got the sentence of a child raping, <laughs> a hijacking terrorist. And it was just something that he couldn't believe. And this is a gentleman who was very tough on crime. He believed in tough punishment for drug offenses. He, he was against the Miranda rights. He tried to overturn it in the Supreme Court. He was against the exclusionary rule. But this, this man, his eyes were open when he saw prosecutors take advantage of this loophole and turn it into a life sentence for a first time low level cannabis offense. And so he became my number one advocate. And Unfortunately, President Bush did not, uh, you know, listen to his cries to pardon me. And, you know, he left office without intervening. And so, you know, we were stuck waiting for the next president. And, you know, fast forward 13 years, you know, after my, you know, uh, sentencing, we built a coalition with, you know, people on the left and right, like Senators Mike Lee and, and the Koch brothers with people on the left, like Cory Booker, Alicia Keys, Bonnie Ray, Snoop Dogg, and ultimately, you know, we convinced the Obama administration to intervene, and I was released in uh, in May of 2016. You know, well, every time you, uh, I hear your story, bro, it's like the first time hearing it all over again. You know what I mean? And, and just the, the level of perseverance, bro, and, and I think about what you just said, right? To have a, a high-ranking legal official, like a judge, sit here and tell you, I've seen A, B, C, and D, and this right here was just too much for me. Like, what was that experience like? Yeah, well, it was a shock because I was expecting this tough on crime judge who was very tough on us at trial. Mm -hmm. You know, he denied all our motions to suppress and everything. We were losing everything with this judge. And so when when sentencing, after I was convicted, my attorney looked at me and like, you know, this is 55 years minimum. Like you could get 65. So I was, you know, worried that, you know, this judge was going to give me the max and, you know, I was going to go on to prison. And it was over with. And so this judge did something that no judge in federal uh, history had ever done, ever and it was so courageous that he didn't only, you know, speak out at sentencing. He actually ordered the government to to actually uh, brief him on whether it was even constitutional for him to impose such a lengthy sentence. And so, and he reached out to the jury and explained the situation and asked them to recommend a punishment just so he could show the higher courts and the Congress, like, look at these sentences, even jurors don't agree with them. And the jurors recommended way lower sentences. And so he reached out to the legal community and beyond um, but ultimately, you know, he couldn't do anything but go down kicking and screaming. And so but when, when, I, when we were approaching sentencing, I felt like he was going to say, OK, this is the sentence. This is what I'm forced to do. I'm sorry. Have a nice day. But instead, he, he decided to stand up to the government and to these prosecutors who were doing something so unjust and, and speak out against it. And so um, it shocked me to hear him utter the words, you know, this sentence is cruel, unjust and irrational. And I call on the president to, to intervene and commute the sentence. And that shocked me. And so that's what gave me hope where I could actually survive 
prison because when you go to prison for 55 years, one, you're going to a, a maximum security prison, and, and two, I got life. And so, you know, it, it's going to be a different experience than people who go to prison for a couple years because I got life. So it changes the circumstances in prison for people with life. And so, you know, it was it was definitely tough. But knowing my judge made the, you know, he wrote a 67 page opinion decrying the entire case. And, and that is what gave me hope that one day somebody's going to listen to him and let me out. And, you know, without that, you know, I would still be in there. Damn, man, that's crazy, man. That, that, that's insane. And, um, and just and, and just to think, like, you know, you come home, you're obviously advocating to bring, you know, folks, folks home as well. But then, you know, I think about, like, some of the different projects you got going on. You're really focused on not only bringing folks home, but actually taking care of folks while they are in prison. Could you speak a little bit about just the, the, the ideology behind that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when I was in prison, you know, the, the federal government, they're good at one thing, and that's winning cases. And they, they, they win at all costs. And so part of their strategy is to deplete all of your resources so you can't fight them. So you have no choice but to bow down and accept what they give you. And so as I was going through my ordeal, you know, they, they charged me with an $800 money laundering charge, which carries no prison time. But the reason why they did it is so they could seize my property. They seized my cars, they seized my cash, they seized everything I own, legal stuff that I bought legally. They seized everything. And so when I went to prison, I didn't have no money. You know, even though I came from the music industry, I came from poverty before that. And so when the government came in the picture, I went back to poverty. And so when I was in prison, I didn't have money. You know, I had a little bit of money left over, but it was gone quick. And so I know how tough it is in prison. You can't earn money in prison. They pay you 12 cents an hour. And so without having friends and family putting money on your books, you struggle in prison. You got to pay for phone calls and, and you want to keep in touch with your kids and your family or else you're going to go crazy. And, and they want people getting out, uh, not being crazy. And so they, you know, they need to uh, figure something out. And so, you know, phone calls are expensive. Emails are expensive. And prison feeds you enough to keep you alive and not full. And that's why it's important for people to have extra assistance so you can buy food off the commissary because everybody, if you don't have money, you're going to bed hungry every night. That's a guarantee. And so, you know, it, it was tough for me. And at the same time, I want to talk to my sons. You know, that was like my biggest thing. I want to talk to my sons as much as possible. And so that took up most of my little bit of money that I did have. And so when I got out, I knew that, you know, we need to support the people who shouldn't be in prison. And for one, you know, when I first got out, I knew I wanted to reform the system. I had this unique bipartisan coalition that helped me get out, this unlikely allies group. And I wanted to use that to, to reform the system. And we did that. You know, we, we worked with Republicans and Democrats to pass the First Step Act. And, you know, I wanted to shift my attention to cannabis because, you know, people should not be in prison right now for cannabis anywhere. And the fact that they are is a crime in and of itself. And so we launched Project Mission Green because we wanted to end incarceration for cannabis completely, federal and state. And at the same time, while we're fighting for these individuals who should not be in prison, while there's people making millions and billions from doing the exact same thing, you know, select individuals are stuck in prison serving time, you know, for something that we no longer consider criminal. And so they should be comfortable while they're in there. And so we launched the Hand Up Commissary Program so we could, you know, help these individuals who are in there, you know, serving unjust cannabis sentences. Because even a little, you know, even $50 a month or an extra $100 a month goes a very long way in prison. No, man, absolutely. You know, um, it's tough hearing you hearing some of this, man, because you talk about just want to talk to your sons, 
and um, just the cost associated with being, being being in prison and doing things as simple as that. You also talk about reforming the system. You know, you mentioned uh, Mission Green, you know, Project Mission Green, but could you talk a little bit about reform? Absolutely. And so, you know, after I, you know, I kept my promise to the people I left behind that I'm going to change these mandatory minimums that are giving people, you know, 50, 60, 70, 100 years in prison. And with the First Step Act, we reformed the statute that gave me 55 years and other people hundreds of years. Um, we reformed three other drug mandatory minimums that were giving people life in prison, like Corbin Cooper. He got life in prison for having two prior convictions. It's like a federal three strikes variation. We reformed that. Now, unfortunately, it's not retroactive, but we did reform it so no one else is getting these draconian punishments. Um, and so, you know, after we passed that, you know, I wanted to focus on cannabis. And at the same time, you know, there's all these people who are making all this money off cannabis. People who have been arrested and have their lives destroyed over it should also be have a share in the market, have a share in the industry. And so I wanted to launch a brand that not only gave an opportunity to someone like myself who has, you know, have, have, a, have a felony conviction for, for cannabis, served 13 years, you know, this, th you know, th they owe me restitution. So, I, you know, I need to be in the industry, but I also wanted to open the door so other people who, you know, who either directly impacted or indirectly impacted, you know, with, with like community people from communities of color and, and, and whatnot to be a part of this reform brand that, you know, that we can come in and be the number one social justice, social equity brand in the country while simultaneously helping the people that, that we've left behind that are still incarcerated. No, for sure, man. <clears throat> I'm glad you talk about that because obviously when we met, you know, you, you, myself, and Stan all talked about reform and we were so captivated by it. We, you know, we decided to partner with you and bring it here to New Jersey. So we're super excited to get that initiative going, you know, uh, to be a community brand that can get out there and not only provide the medicine needed in our communities, but actually be a vessel to put in money on the books of those who are impacted by, you know, the war on drugs. So now, nah, man, it's really exciting. You know, I, I want to touch on something you, you brought up earlier. Um, you mentioned your love for music. You know, obviously, you know, the, the, the hip hop, the music industry and cannabis is strongly connected. How do you see it being connected in this legal market? Yeah, so for one, I credit hip hop for being where we are in cannabis because hip hop and the music normalized cannabis use. It also removed the stigma, uh, you know, that's, that's around people that use cannabis. And so hip hop made it cool and okay to smoke cannabis. I think hip hop had a bigger role in it than, than most groups. And so I think hip hop is a part of cannabis culture. And so, you know, when, when I wanted to launch Reform, because I am from hip hop, I wanted to launch this brand, Reform with two E's, Reefer and Reform, um, to bring this together and make it a part of the culture. It's a social justice movement that, that's a part that's a part of the culture as well. No, man, absolutely. That's that's, that's dope, bro. That's dope. I mean, I'm, I'm super excited to see what comes from that. I mean, um, just look, look, looking into some, some more of your stuff, obviously. I know you were a big, uh, big piece of that first step back, which saw folks like uh, Loon from Bad Boy, Harry O from Death Row getting released from, uh, from, from prison. Can you talk a little bit about that experience and just kind of what you're doing with those efforts? So, yeah, so so after we passed the First Step Act, you know, it benefited a number of people. For one, we cultivated a relationship with the Trump administration, ironically, um, where we, we were able to, you know, get people out through their clemency program. But um, rewind back to 2019, I started working on a case of, you know, bad boy records rapper Loon. So Loon was one of the first cases that I picked up after we passed the First Step Act. He reached out to me and, you know, he's my music peer. And so, you know, we looked at this situation. He got 14 years 
for introducing two people that went on to make a drug deal. He got caught up in a conspiracy simply for connecting them and saying, look, meet him, meet so-and-so. They went on to sell drugs. He got 14 years for that. And so I had to do something for him, even though, you know, he's from the East Coast, bad boy. Um, you know, he's still my music peer and, you know, he's my brother. Um, and so, you know, we, we got him out through the First Step Act's compassionate release. Um, but, you know, being a, being a part of that First Step Act coalition gave me access to the Trump administration. Um, you know, and before Trump, you know, the first we started working with Obama, I got out at the tail end of the Obama administration. and We were able to get a few cannabis clemencies right before he left. But when Trump came in is when we had all this momentum. And so we started working with Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump. And we were able to get uh, Michael Harris out, you know, or Harry O, the co-founder of Death Row Records. And he was a tough case, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, me and Alice Johnson and others are, uh, convinced, you know, Ivanka and President Trump to, to do this. Particularly it was me, Snoop Dogg and Alice Johnson that, that were the force behind his release. And, you know, I benefited directly from Death Row Records. You know, it was the motiva motivating factor for me getting into music in the first place because Death Row was so inspirational to me. And so in addition to, you know, those music figures were working on Ty Dolla Sign's brother's case, um, you know, Rollo, the Atlanta rapper, who, who I'm getting support from Drake and Killer Mike to help me get him out. We partnered with Russ, the rapper Russ, to call on Biden to commute the sentences of, you know, anyone in federal prison for cannabis related conduct. Um, but more importantly, the last day of Trump's administration, he granted 12 people off our list who were serving life in prison for cannabis. Corvain Cooper was one of them, Jimmy Romans. And this was a, a letter with a list that we submitted to the White House um, in February. We hand delivered this letter in February 2020 that had this list of these 25 cases that we thought were the most draconian. Um, and we re we followed up with the White House, you know, the following December, shortly before I was pardoned myself unexpectedly. Um, so we got a lot of good at the last administration, and and you know that makes us feel like we're going to get a whole lot more from from President Biden's administration. Um, shortly after um, Trump left, the Biden administration reached out to us to help them with a clemency program. And so we put together a report that has a criteria for a categorical pardon grant for anyone who's in federal prison for a marijuana charge or who's free but still has a felony conviction. This proclamation would benefit anyone with a marijuana felony, a federal marijuana felony. And so, you know, we're, we're hearing that you know, President Biden's likely to um, implement this program soon. That's fantastic, bro. That's fantastic, man. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm like a shock, bro. You, you, you're doing so much so fast, and it's just, it's insane, man. Your selflessness, you know, to, to, to come home from what you went through and to, to want to, to just want to put your best foot forward, helping the same people going through the same shit, man. That's just super commendable, bro. We salute you Absolutely. 100%, man. Absolutely, bro. Listen, be, be, Thank you. Be, before we let you get out of here, man, we got to ask what we ask everybody. You know, we always want to end the show on a high note. So uh, what's your favorite strain of all time, man, and why? Man, of all time, that's tough. Um, there's a lot of good ones. Um, I would say King Louis the Third. Okay. Um, yeah, King Louis the Third is one of those ones that um, I would say makes you, you know, get, get, brings out your creative side, makes you, you know, want to do something. And so for me, I don't like to be tired I want to be creative. I want to be doing something. I don't like wasting my time. I lost 13 years already. I don't want to sit back and, and be lazy with the indica and falling asleep. So I want to be doing something. And so I think, you know, King Louis III is one of those strains that brought that out. 
All right, that's dope, bro. That's really dope. That's awesome. Sure. Well, well listen, man, how, how can the people get in contact with you on social media and all that stuff? Yeah, they can uh, follow us on Project Mission Green or at Weldon Angelos or at The Weldon Project. Um, or they can go to our website, theweldonproject.org. You can sign up to be a volunteer. You can sign up for our newsletter or you can donate. You know, we definitely can use the donations. Hell yeah, brother. Hell yeah, man. Well, listen, man, there you have it, guys. You know, we want to thank the entire 420 NJ Events family for tuning in, kicking it with us. Make sure you got those notifications on. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. We want to thank our sponsor, Hemper. Make sure you check them out at hemper.co. That's hemper.co. This has been the Higher Learning with 420 NJ Events Podcast. Until next time, medicate responsibly. Let's go.